3: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Going Off Track. My name is Jonah. I'm surrounded by two people. <laughs> you are surrounded by love I and love. strength. By Brad and Steven. Why do you bring these girls everywhere? <laughs> they're not speaking, but they're here. Just I'm so surrounded know. by two girls you who can... are invisible. Yeah, that's the way to yeah, go. If anybody saw the Vanity Fair uh, cover with, with Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> oh, Jimmy yeah, Fallon. Jimmy, Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. I haven't seen that. Is that new? He's like. When the Tonight Show moved and he got all these sexy girls to follow him around New York City. That's and su- I thought of you immediately. Oh, because yeah. that's the opposite of my life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I remember years and years ago, um, Crowded House, the band, was so up in arms against every Robert Palmer video because he always had, like, they thought he was just objectifying girls. Remember it? Simply Irresistible"? Yeah, the video and,
3: was fucking awesome.
1: Yeah. And, and, um, uh, he just uh, didn't mean to turn you on, and uh, addicted to love, and it was all like you know, bouncing models who couldn't play instruments, pretending to. Right. And they were just antagonizing it, like, oh, his videos, oh, they're terrible. And I was like, why the hell is this good been songwriting like- New Zealand band <laughs> <laughs> attacking Robert Palmer? Uh, you're like,
3: you think that's objectifying women? Wait, ten years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to look tame to you. Oh, yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, Robin Thick. <laughs>
1: But I like it when the people, you know, everyone, you know, attacks Miley Cyrus for you know how she's being. But I'm like, she's owning it. I think it's awesome.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think she's much smarter than people yeah, say. Like absolutely. people are like, oh, she's such a train wreck. Blah blah blah. You're like, really? <laughs> Everyone's talking about someone the week their record comes out, but but you're the one who can see the truth, which is that this person doesn't have an eye for marketing. Like, come on. I think that chick is so in, like uh, aware of her brand for sure. She's super good at what she
1: does. And what what kills me is when she does a risque photo shoot, I think at this stage of the game, if you're slightly involved in the industry, Brad especially, you can go, oh, I can tell a Terry Richardson photo from space.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, she's smart. I don't think she's always in control of what she starts, but she's definitely been studying at the business school of Madonna. Yes, for sure. And it's also, I have a weird, and anytime she does anything, it's great. For my family, because Vanessa plays her in SNL. Completely. <laughs> so, it's a win-win for everyone. Um, speaking, you said something about uh, Growing Pains earlier. I did. And uh, that was... Which is funny, because then you said something about Robin Thicke. I'm, I'm trying to connect everything. And Robin Thicke's dad. is Alan Thicke. Who's on Growing Pains. That's right. And... Growing pains sometimes result from stretching.
1: Oh, here it is—the segue I was waiting for. And today's
3: <laughs> guest on going off track is yoga teacher Eddie Stern. <laughs> he's not just a teacher; he's kind of he like is. He's the a yoga. Man. He's the yoga man. He's a uh, has the Broom Street Shala. He co-wrote the book Guruji about K. Pattabhi Joyce. Um, I mean, he's I mean, in the Ashtanga New York documentary. Anything related to Ashtanga yoga, Mysore, New York. He is the man. I made a joke
1: one time to you, Jonah. Like, you should have your own podcast called Yoga. And you went, I do.
3: (laughs) Sort of do. And thank you
1: guys for letting me have
3: yoga folks
1: on this podcast. I love how you take advantage of it. I really do. I think it's very cool. Because it's something, one, I don't know anything about. I do find it a stretch. (laughs) Uh, But it's also just a nice reminder of, wow, I could definitely be doing more to make myself healthier without... You know, it's not like joining a gym... You know what I mean? It's yes. something that has a, a positive mental benefit. I'm not saying going to the gym doesn't. If you work out, it's, it's scientifically proved that if you worked out for a long time, you will be a happier person. Um, some of these people, I think, just don't have enough brain cells to be happy. They're just in a constant state of, uh, but that's just me. I'm judging. <laughs> uh, but yoga just seems everyone's kind of going. You, yoga is not a quick fix. Which no, it's, it's, not not. Like, it's not like a diet plan. It's a lifestyle. Right and i think it's yeah, fascinating.
3: Totally. And talking to Eddie, it's like I feel like i would have to meditate for like 50 years to get where that dude is. Like he's so even and calm and wise. So i feel like we should just get right into it.
2: let get wise. And let's
3: get wise and listen to Eddie Stern. It's going off track! We're rolling. All right. We are rolling. Man. <laughs> so today i'm going off track. Our guest is Eddie Stern um how how do you describe yourself yoga teacher or yeah yoga instructor instructor that'll do (laughs) yes and also kind of music enthusiast because i keep seeing the broom street ramon shirt yeah which i i uh i talked to arturo about i remember and him being like yeah it's really cool
0: cool man i'm so glad that he liked it yeah yeah that's amazing um yeah super big music enthusiast um i mean the ramones were totally happening during my coming of age uh growing up in greenwich village living out most of my teenage years at cbgbs and um seeing all those guys you know around in the east village and etc um the uh yeah, the whole backdrop of my youth in New York was basically underground music scene, whether it was punk rock scene or the hardcore scene or whatever happened to be going on. dance um in the 1980s was a great place to see bands. Um, I remember seeing Sonic Youth there and the Wild Swans there in probably 1983 or 1984. Um, Bauhaus and... um king kurt the gun club um wow. fetus i mean you name it like liquid liquid esg everybody was playing that it was some beastie boys it was amazing so did you grow up in new york yeah i grew up on McDougal street oh wow yeah i went to little red schoolhouse i graduated by the skin of my teeth from elizabeth Irwin.
3: <laughs>
0: how did you sort of get exposed because i feel
3: like that music at that time was not how it is now like you kind of had to seek it out
0: uh the village voice basically you know we, we would just wait for wednesdays when the village voice came out it was a i think it was can't remember if it's it free now or is it a dollar now free. it's free now it used to be a dollar okay and we would wait for the village voice to come out and just like you know flip straight through to the concert section and there was i mean aside from CBGBs, there was also the peppermint lounge and danceateria uh and then the ritz also a lot of great bands played at the ritz Everybody played there. P.I.L., The Cramps, Birthday Party, Einster's Endy Neubauten, whoever you wanted to see, you know. And then we had record stores, too. That's where we found everything was in record stores. Bleaker Bob's was still open. Um, that's how you like, you know, you saw that article, how do you know if you're a New Yorker, if you can say, I remember when, you know, right. this used to be there. And uh, my friend Ofer, who had that record store, Rebel Rebel, which used to be on um, Cornelia Street, it was a, it was called Record Runner on Cornelia Street. Now he's on Bleecker called, uh, Rebel Rebel. And basically, like, you just go there all the time and see what are the records that were, were coming out, what was coming in from England, what was happening, you know, what 45s, what singles were coming out that you could buy. And 99 Records was across the street from my house. So I was in 99 Records. I don't know if you remember that. It was on McDougal Street. No. That's where, like, anything that was happening in underground music, you would find it, 99 Records. Like, you know, I remember, um, I was exposed to everything there, the Violent Femmes, um, New Order. Uh, I remember when, oh, what was that single that came out? Might have been The Beach, I think. I remember like the day that came out. But everything that was going on for the underground music scene, whether it was New Wave or punk rock or whatever, I could find out about that at 99 Records. Um, but they're long gone. That was an amazing record store. Yeah, I never heard of that one. That's it cool. was great, you know, when I was like 14, maybe, um, 14, 15, and uh, I would be going in there and in entering such a world that was so foreign to me, like, I was like a kid and I felt like I was entering this adult world of, like, weird music that was, like, amazing <laughs> that I couldn't get enough of, and um, so it was just like, I don't know, those days of, of having LPs were the most magical musical days that I'll ever remember. For sure.
3: That's amazing. Do you sort of keep up on music now at all?
0: Like- uh, I, I do a little bit. Um, and my daughter is super into music, which I'm like really happy about. And she knows everything that's going on. Um, and I I think she has pretty good taste. I mean, as far as <laughs> if I'm the tastemaker who yeah, has yeah. to decide, then she <laughs> has good taste. Yesterday or the day before we were listening to um, the Yeah Yeah Yeah's radio station on Pandora she knew every single band she was like oh i know the song it's by blah 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 and it's like it was so cool and it was good stuff it wasn't like you know nothing against justin bieber or miley cyrus but her she's and she's 13 and i think her taste is pretty sophisticated and so i'm starting to get exposed to um bands i haven't heard of because of her and i like it i like to stay kind of current and hear what's going on and uh, you know i love the yeah yeah yes and uh, Brian Chase practices in our yoga school now. Also, so. oh, really cool! Whenever we hear a "Yeah Yeah Yeah" song in a odd place, I tell him about it. Um, my daughter's name is Lily. We went ice skating at Rockefeller Center about two weeks ago, just for fun. And um, out of nowhere, Maps came on over the sound system, and we just like were skating into the walls, having a blast. It was like a skating mosh pit <laughs> or something. <laughs> I love that song.
3: Yes, it's a great song. <laughs> yeah. Um, to me, it seems like there is so much crossover between kind of the yoga and music worlds. And we had on a few months ago, Rick Apo. Mm-hmm. who yeah, Raghunath. Raghunath, yeah, who I, I used to see his bands growing up all the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, do you feel like there's a lot of kind of crossover? I, I don't know how to articulate this really, like maybe like with the release or... K- catharsis or some kind of what do you think the connection is i guess for you i guess you can speak on yourself personally maybe
0: i i think that through yoga and meditation you're reaching a place in your side of like deep creativity i think that's what uh, where a lot of the crossover comes from um and even in the yogic systems they say that when you dive deep within into super subtle levels of consciousness, uh, you could say almost foundational levels of consciousness, that you touch this place where there's infinite potential and infinite creativity. It's the words that Maharishi Mahesh Yoga used to use a lot. And um, you can sense that you go from this outer world of the things we do in names and forms and our interactions and our interpersonal relationships. You go to a very quiet place which becomes very expansive because the boundaries that we normally set for for ourselves begin to dissolve a little. And as the boundaries that we set, whether it's fear or ambition or striving or doubt, as these things begin to dissolve within the yoga practice, our inner space opens and the boundaries begin to fade away a little. And in this open space, there is this potential for tapping into deep levels of creativity and, um, and a lot of people who do this practice, who are very creative people, whether they're actors or musicians or doctors or lawyers or regular people like me who just do yoga, you hit this level in your practice and in your meditation that then inspires how you do things in the real world and you act in um, I shouldn't say the real world but in the outer world and then you begin to act in the outer world based on the things that you're experiencing in these deep quiet moments of contemplation. and the, these moments of contemplation, they're not empty of, you know, they're not void spaces um, but they're filled with this, um, with possibility and, w- and what is the world but this infinite potential for creativity for the the, the huge immeasurable universe of galaxies and planets and you know, atoms and quarks and protons and and molecules that combine into cells that create all these fabulous, amazing beings that populate our whole planet. Um, so there's definitely this infinite potential that we can observe even just within the visible galaxy and the visible world uh, of possibility. And, and we do hit that um, when we become very, very quiet. And so I think that people, um, you know, musicians or artists, they, they find something in there, um, which, which they like. Um, so off the top of my head, I'd say that's a possible explanation for <laughs> yes. why there's a big crossover. Sounds pretty good. Um, and I've, obviously
3: I've read your book, Guruji, and I was curious sort of... Thank you. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> it's great, but I was... Um, I'm sure you give, give, tell the story a lot, but how did you kind of go from being involved in kind of underground music and stuff to kind of your path with yoga and Kappa Joyce
0: and all that type of stuff? uh it was a very easy and direct path it was through something called LSD and another thing <laughs> called mushrooms pretty <laughs> <laughs> of those and yeah exactly um they are a uh, a big um uh swinging fulcrum point for a lot of people um i was exposed to these things as a teenager um as many people were and the experiences i was having on psychedelics opened up these inner dimensions to me. And then when I was working at Bleecker Bobs when I was about 18, there was a guy there named Ted Byoric and he started he'd done yoga in the 1970s and he started showing me some things and speaking about vegetarian diet and he gave me a book on yoga. And when I started reading this book, it was Patanjali Yoga Sutra, I started thinking that all the stuff Patanjali was talking about, a lot of them were things that I had experienced from psychedelics. And I thought, wow, with yoga, you know, I can achieve these things without waking up the next morning feeling terrible and feeling like I've just, I'm destroying myself with chemicals. So I stopped doing everything and I just started only doing yoga. Um, there were only three or four yoga schools in New York at the time. This was 1986, 1987, 1988. There was integral yoga, Shivananda yoga, Dharma Mitra. And in 1987, at the end of the year, the Jivamukti Mukti Yoga Society opened. That's before it became a yoga center. A couple of other people here and there, but it was very, very sparse. Um, At Jiva Mukti, there were only five classes a week. At Shivananda, you could take a class every day. Dharma Mitra had um, like a very bizarre and funny schedule. And I went to all, oh, and there was Kundalini Yoga with Ravi Singh. So I went to all those places and just became really, really interested. Um, And it's what i just began doing with all my free time. Uh, I had a t-shirt business that I'd started in high school. I kept running it when I came out of high school. I, I didn't go to college. And um, after a couple of years, I thought, all I'm really interested in is yoga. So I sold my half of the business to my partner, who was Ted at that time, and went to India. And that was um, when I was 20. i just turned 21, actually, a couple of days before. And then I went to India. And that was pretty much it. So this is all I've done, really, since I was 21.
3: Wow. Dude, and obviously, I know people especially when they go in Mysore, they spend a long time there. Were you there for, for uh, how long were you there for? Well, I
0: met Patabi Joyce in 1990. I started studying with him in 1991. So from 1991 until 2009, uh, I went there every year, sometimes twice a year, um, anywhere from um, three or four months to my longest trip was about 15 months. And then after I got married and my wife and I had a, a baby, our trips started getting shorter. So when Lily was younger, we could go for one or two months, no problem. And then as she started getting older, it was harder to stay with her in India for a long time. And then we had the school vacations and blah, blah, blah. So it ended up being, you know, by 2006 or 2007, we were down to about two to three weeks, a maximum of one month at a time. But all told, I spent a lot of time in Mysore. Um, But, you know, really every year for those... About a nineteen year period
3: wow that 's amazing mm-hmm.
0: 18, 19, 18 years probably
3: did you have the intention of of wanting to be an instructor at some
0: point, or did that kind of just kind of organically evolve sort of I had no idea at all that I could actually teach yoga. Um, I remember once I had a private class with Ravi Singh, and um, he was you know he liked to do these kind of readings with people. And he told me that um I had the capacity or something like that to be a yoga teacher in this particular life. And I thought that was the most bizarre, incongruous thing I had ever heard because I thought in order to be a yoga teacher, you needed to be enlightened. You know, you had to have awakened your kundalini and be, you know, some type of a master. Um, so I didn't really take him super seriously um, and then a little later on, uh, Sharon and David from Achieva Mukti, um, suggested that I go to India to do the Shivananda teacher training, and then I could come back and maybe help out in their school. So then I went to India and took the teacher training. Um, and, uh, it wasn't really at that point that I even knew that trainings existed, that people could become teachers. I, I still thought, well, you know, you needed to be enlightened to teach yoga, the world would probably be better off if all the yoga teachers were actually enlightened. Right. <laughs> Instead of the new glorified, you know, waiters and waitresses that we've all become.
3: Yeah. That must be so wild. Cause I feel like just seeing New York change, but also seeing the way the yoga world has changed. It's like, I feel like every studio has like teacher trainings and it's just like, um, it must be so crazy to kind of be in both those things at like kind of a ground level in a way. And at least over here and see how it's changed. I mean, what, how do you feel about New York now? I mean, obviously, like, Seabees is gone, all these record stores. I mean, do you feel like there's still a vibrant kind of community, or do you feel like it's been lost a little bit?
0: No, the world always changes. Um, I, I I don't think we should ever fall into the habit of saying it was so much better when, um, or, uh, you know, the idea that, uh, as my friend Tim Miller says, um, the older we get, the better we were. You know, this is a this is not a good way of viewing the world because the world is transformation that's the nature of it It is parinama which means change and transformation so i think transformation is good we should enjoy it and you know be open to the new things that are happening in guruji patabi Joyce, one of the things that i really always loved about him was his ability to be open to staying current you know, whatever things, if he had an iPod, you know, when he was 90, he had an iPod and he listened to it. He enjoyed it. He would listen to his own music. He wasn't listening to, you know, Katy Perry, but he, but he enjoyed having an iPod and he had a nice watch. If someone gave him a, a new watch, he would use it. And eventually he switched from having a, you know, 35cc, um, Indian scooter to having a car and he would allow things to roll. I think staying current's really important, um, and it keeps the mind fresh and it keeps us open and sometimes happy and available to what what's going on. So, you know, I don't really romanticize the old New York. Like it was dangerous and it was filthy and it was f- crime ridden. And there were things about it that were super conducive to creativity. But there's a lot of creativity still. And... Um, and that was the time for it. And now it's the time for, like, something else. Um, I, well, the funny thing was, is when I was growing up in the village, and my sisters as well, we were allowed to roam free. Like, we were going to school by ourselves when we were, like, 8, 9, 10 years old. I would never <laughs> let my daughter go to school by herself at 8 years old. Like, forget it. Much right. less step, I, I'm not even comfortable, like, I mean, now she takes a subway, but, you know, keep your cell phone on, you know? It was not like that at all. It, the streets were dangerous and we were like roaming free because the danger was only in certain places, you know. It was a it was designated, like, don't go there. Lower East Side, you know, I'm Ludlow Street, Eldridge Street, forget it.
3: it was so... What about Alphabet City?
0: I remember when stretches of Avenue D were unpaved for long periods of time. Um, we used to go to some of the after-hours clubs down there in the 1980s and it was like... So sketchy and so dangerous, like heroin city completely. Like, wow. you know, be careful. Uh, it still, you know, can be pretty dangerous over there, but, um, but, you know, the city is a safer place. It's cleaner. Um, and, um, the gentrification will always be a problem. And, you know, the way that Robert Moses designed the city to, you know, keep Manhattan far away and difficult to get to from the outer boroughs is, um, one of the great, flaws of manhattan and and its connection to the outer boroughs and the problems that um are very prevalent out there like violence and um economic disparity i mean yeah that stuff has always been bad and it continues to be bad um But in terms of yoga, you were asking about, there. okay, there are a lot more yoga teachers and a lot more yoga studios, and how do I feel about that? I'm I'm not particularly elitist when it comes to that kind of stuff. I think that yoga is a really good thing. I think meditation is a really good thing. Um, I would like to see it more assimilated into regular common daily life, which is happening rapidly. Um, Commercialization and commodification of esoteric things. has been happening for since the time that jesus was crucified i don't expect it's going to stop happening anytime soon it's one of the pitfalls of you know when something is good eventually someone with a mind which is geared towards materialism is going to want to sell it um and you know that happens but i have to say that it's possible that i benefit from that as well um because i get to have a yoga studio and pay my rent and send my daughter to the lycée francais which i'm happy to do um you know i i think that yoga is a good thing it's helpful on so many levels it's helpful for kids it's helpful for elderly it's helpful for regular people who you know not like elderly and kids are not regular but it's you know for your middle-aged people and it's helpful for people who are suffering from ptsd it's helpful for people suffering from add recovering from injuries um people who just need to relax or they have a lot of stress, people who are on a spiritual quest, people who are looking for answers to who am I and what am I doing here. So it's a very, very um, flexible and, um, you know, diverse tool which can be applied in a lot of different ways. And I think that's a good thing and more people should do it. And I'm glad that people are practicing. And I hope that the yoga studios and the yoga studio owners um adhere to their principles and values and keep integrity within the practice. And I think a lot of people for the most part really do do that. Um, and of course, the ones who don't adhere to those things are always the ones who we hear more about, right. you know, like Bikram or like John friend or, you know, because every that's what sells a news story is someone having sex with a student or transferring drugs over state lines or whatever. Um, I frankly think that they're the anomaly and there are a lot of a lot of unsung yoga heroes throughout the country without a doubt there's so many people doing amazing work with yoga that you don't read about in the papers
3: definitely. I think it's really interesting that you got turned on through psychedelics because I feel like there's a connection, not a connection maybe, but I feel like I get the same feeling from psychedelics as I do after sitting for a long time like i feel but I also feel like psychedelics can be kind of maybe a shortcut that isn't as good. I mean, do you think there's a place for that stuff? Or do you think that you it's better to attain that through meditation and that thing rather than putting something under your tongue?
0: You know, I, I don't think either. It was useful for me at the time I was in my life, which was, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old. Um, Neem Karoli Baba said about LSD, this is Ram Dass' guru, that, um, you know, when you take it, you can go have Darshan of Christ and stay with him In darshan, meaning of the vision, or being in his presence for a few hours and then after you have to leave. Um, And the idea of yoga and meditation is that we begin to gradually change our level of consciousness so that we're always in that presence. And that's the basic thing. We want to enter into the presence of, um, you know, who are we really at a deep level? Um, You know, whatever that might be. Um, Whether you want to feel a, a presence of, consciousness or divinity, or maybe you call it spirituality, pervading everything which is in the world, some underlying fabric of consciousness or something. Do you want to be in that presence all the time? If you do, the way to do that is to attune yourself to that level of beingness. Um, Remember, we're, we're human beings, right? We're supposed to be in the world in a particular way. And we can choose the way that we want to be in the world by the way we use our mind by the way we expand our boundaries and dissolve our boundaries um by the way we see a kinship with other people and with other living beings and with the planet we can choose how we want to be in the world but we're busy doing all the time you know i want to do this i want to do that you know i'm the same way i've got I have like half a dozen things going on all the time um so we're not human doings we're human beings and being will allow us to, if we want to be in this presence and be tapping into consciousness, which is basically awareness, um, then we can do that. And we can do it through yoga, through meditation, through chanting, through being nice to people, through being thoughtful, through listening to people. All those different ways we can do it. And it can also be done through psychedelics. It can be done through ayahuasca, it can be done through all these things, but all those things, they're temporary. They might cause a shift or an opening in your consciousness by which you can release something or go to another level, but in the end, um, I think we're going to have to do the work on ourselves so that this becomes a regular thing. You know, We don't want to do yoga for an hour or two hours and then come out of the class and be like a total asshole we don't want to come out from it and not be able to get along with people and still be, um, you know, self-righteous or indignant or grouchy or any of these types of things. You know, we want to be able to have it transform us so that we can attain some idea of a highest good or something like that. And um the same is true with psychedelics. Like you can do them and have an experience, but what happens when you come back from that experience? Are you a better person? Are you more patient? Do you listen better? Are you more caring? Are you more compassionate in the world? Um, if so, then that will help you with a spiritual journey. If not, then you're going to have to go a little bit deeper. The same is true with yoga. If we're not becoming better people because of it, then we need to go a little bit deeper. Definitely.
3: And I know a lot of people who don't, maybe don't practice yoga who are listening like, can be intimidated by going into a new space or trying something new. I mean, what, what would you maybe recommend for sort of people who are interested in, in yoga or, or meditation or going down that path but maybe are just apprehensive because it's new?
0: Yeah, new things are quite often scary. There are six things which are said to bring success in yoga. Uh, one is enthusiasm. Um, second thing is boldness. And the other is a sense of adventure. That, um, you know, courage doesn't mean that we don't have fear it means that we're not afraid of our fear that we can deal with embracing something which is uncertain so have a little bit of a sense of adventure feeling of courage or boldness and you know walk into a yoga studio look online find a teacher that looks appealing to you the important thing about yoga really or meditation is finding a teacher you like you might have to try one or two people um and that's fine uh I went to many teachers before I met Patabi Joyce, and I didn't even realize he was my teacher until I'd been studying with him for two years when I finally felt, man, this guy can teach me everything I want to know. Um, so walk in off a yoga, you know, walk in off the street, go into a yoga studio, take a look around, and you might have to walk into one or two of them before you get comfortable actually walking into a studio. You might not even go into a class yet. Um, you know, just walk on, speak to the person behind the desk, speak to a teacher poke your head into a classroom and uh if you're uncomfortable with the place try another there are a lot of them they're all over you yes, <laughs> can't but... even try it you know you can even try to health club but um there's really not too much to be afraid of definitely. the only thing we have to be afraid of in that situation is our own mind you know and it's only our mind that's all
3: definitely i mean what's it like for you obviously i have some friends who study with you and i know like a lot of celebrities and those type of people come in i mean is it is it surreal like for like gwyneth paltrow or something to be in your studio or do you just kind of view just a student is a student and that's kind of not a conscious thing for you
0: well um we the yoga practice we do is a little bit of a difficult practice um meaning you need a lot of um self-motivation to do it um the Everyone's not being led along, you know, spoken to at the same time. It's very individualistic practice. So everyone who's on the floor practicing has to be willing and able to be self-motivated within their practice. And if they can do that, then they'll stick with it and they'll be in that room with everyone else practicing like everyone else.
3: Yeah, and they have to be able to get up early.
0: And well, you know, we're open from 6 in the morning till 12 noon teaching. So, okay. a, you know, if you can get That's up by it. 10 a.m., you can get to class. <laughs> and if you can't get up by 10 a.m., then well, you can go somewhere <laughs> else. <laughs> um, but, um, I mean, without a doubt, you know, there have been people who have practiced at the school who are icons of my generation. Was I feeling pretty good that they were practicing my yoga school? Yeah, definitely. Did I give them special attention? Sometimes I did. I am a, a flawed human being in many different ways. Um, but they were practicing at the end of the day. And if they can't maintain their practice, then they wouldn't be at the school. And many of them have maintained it for a long time. Others haven't. Um, so I, um, I try to be partial to everyone who's there. But um, uh, I have to say, there have been people practicing in the school before who are, you know, I felt good about myself because someone who uh i had so admired when i was growing up and who was such a big figure while i was growing up would come into yoga you know at my school Um, you know that made me feel good about what i was doing um so i admit it
3: yeah no i think that's i think that's awesome yeah definitely i mean um aren't you are you involved in some programs with yoga and kids as well Yes. Could you speak about that a little bit? Because I think that's really cool.
0: Definitely. Thank you. Um, uh, I have two programs. Um, one of them is called the Sonima Foundation for Health and Wellness. Um, it's a nonprofit foundation that I work for. And what we do is we've developed a health and wellness curriculum, which is being put into the public school system. Right now we're in an entire school district in Encinitas. We're in four schools in New York and another four are coming. We're in a few schools in Florida and starting next semester we'll be in another district in Houston. And the health and wellness program is based on um, best practices of health and wellness, which are we exercise based on yoga, um, mindfulness and relaxation, and nutrition. Um, Basic idea is to help support public education by keeping the kids active, um, keeping them healthy, and giving them a sense of... um, being able to use tools which will help them deal with stress, um, of testing, of growing up, um, of bullying, character development. You know, how can we pr- how can we learn through our physical practice and through physical exercise to um, to be generous, to be kind, to be thoughtful. Where is awareness? You know, we tell kids all the time, "Pay attention, pay attention." But you know, where is attention, and how do we pay it somewhere? All these types of things. We just say to kids all the time, to students particularly, um, but if you can feel that through using your body and your breath and even where you look with your eyes in a particular way, you can create a state of attention in your whole mind-body complex, all of a sudden it's easier to focus. It's easier to understand, oh, this is what attention feels like and now I know where to focus it. So we're using all these types of things in the school system. So far it's it's going very well. Um we had uh the Encinitas School District was sued by um some evangelicals I last year that, right? and um but uh the judge basically ruled that though yoga it was a separation of church and state issue and he ruled that though yoga comes from a religious tradition in India that in America it's being practiced in basically a secular way. He does Bikram yoga, the judge does some. And I'm in, I'm in agreement with that. Um, so that's one thing. The other program I do is called The Urban Yogis. And it's something that I created along with Deepak Chopra and a woman named Erica Ford. And Erica lives in South Jamaica, an uh, area of New York which is beset by high levels of gun violence. So that's coming down now. And um, her program is called Life Camp, and basically she does harm reduction and mediation and um, different programming to help reduce gun violence in her target area. And so we created this Urban Yogis program within Life Camp to bring tools of transformation to the youth of this area. Um, right now, I'm working with five um, young men and women who've been practicing with me for a year and a half now, and um, they've they've all they're all becoming teachers they've passed their first level of um you know i created a program for them so they could become yoga teachers basically and now they're starting to teach in their communities one of the women actually got a job at um at an all-girls college teaching yoga and um the rest of the young men are teaching in their in the projects housing development is actually the polite word the correct word um and um they're an amazing group of individuals who have found that through yoga and through some meditation, they, they notice a reduction of negativity within them and um, a reduction of anger. And it's affecting how they are relating and acting within the world. And plus, you know, job opportunities are being created through this new sc- skill set that they're learning. We're using yoga as a, as not only a tool for transformation, but as a vocational tool as well. Um, because yoga is like a five billion dollar marketplace in America and why isn't that youth, um, they're not even youth, they're young adults, who are living in areas like the housing developments, they don't have access. So basically what we're doing is providing them access to these amazing tools by which they can participate in this larger movement which is happening in America. And it's one of the things that I'm most excited about, and I'm immensely proud of the courage that they have because doing yoga... And Southside Queens is not cool. It's not hip. Um, it is something which is seen as, uh, as they say, as a, a feminine endeavor, and which is a polite way of saying, you know, gay, um, which is what they're called quite often for doing yoga. Um, over the summertime, we ran a free class in their housing development out in the playground. Sometimes we'd have 25 to 30 people coming out there practicing. We'd just give them yoga mats. And... Um, the assortment of guys that you have coming out there is like amazing. Um, one of them wrote a hip hop song, um, where one of his lyrics was, I practice yoga, but I have my gun on my hip. And so, you know, they're still, they live in this lifestyle. They live in this environment, which, um, is their reality. But yet now they have this tool added into it, which is creating this other shift in their thinking and in their approach. Um, Epoch has an amazing formula, Um, maybe someone else invented it, he just uses it, I don't know, but it's called stop. The S is stop, the T is take a few breaths, the O is observe the sensations in your body, observe your mind, and then P is proceed with awareness. So if you're in a conflict or you're in a situation where you're about to react to something and you know it's wrong, you do this, you stop, you take a few deep breaths, you observe yourself, And then you proceed with awareness. What is my step going to be? My next step going to be based on these preceding three preparation things. And a few weeks ago, um, a young man called up Erica and he was in tears and he said, you know, my brother was shot and I was going to retaliate and go shoot the person who killed him. And um, but instead, I remembered this thing that Deepak said during our meditation about stop and I did it. I stopped. I took a few deep breaths. I observed myself. And instead of picking up my gun, I put it down, and I didn't go out to kill him. And um, it's stories like these that make you realize how crucial these little tools are, and they're so simple, but yet if you don't have access to them, you might just go out and kill somebody. And here's a young man who not only prevented himself from Killing someone and ruining that person's life, and the life of all of his that person's family members. He also preserved himself, and now he'll never have to live with the fact that he killed someone, and that maybe you know he'll get caught and go to prison. So he preserved not only this other life but his own as well. And um, I can't even imagine the inner world which opened up for him from actually trying to observe himself and not retaliate by killing someone it's super profound it's super beautiful and um i mean just like yeah we got to keep that going and 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 provide access to anyone who would benefit from it to have it it's free stuff you know you don't need to spend six thousand dollars to learn how to do this stuff you know it's just there
3: do you think moving forward like 10 20 years from now this stuff will be much more kind of ingrained with with youth and sort of schools and and that
0: sort of culture i mean do you feel like it's getting more i hope it is and and it doesn't even need to be called yoga doesn't even need to be called meditation these things can just be tools for being good people for being thoughtful people aware people and having um you know uh tools to to solve conflicts um just the ability to listen to people and let people talk and express themselves, and not have to react and defend ourselves all the time. Um, you know, I frankly don't care what it's called. Um, I just know that the, a lot of the tools within the practices, um, and and the tools that you see in other things like social and emotional learning, and um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, and all this stuff are really good things, and we need to get more of this into the system into the school system into the prison system into the political system you know into the government to let people see that there are other ways to resolve conflicts other than just arguing and fighting and having to be right all the time um i mean this stuff will always be in the world um it's i think it's part of the nature of the world um conflict is just it's always been present and um but that doesn't mean we can't try to do something about it, you know, by, by being a little different, by thinking differently. And um and I think the, the tools within yoga and within mindfulness and within meditation, uh they, they're very helpful. Um and if they are more fully integrated and even if the name changes, the principles should should be there. The principles of generosity, of kindness, of thoughtfulness, of listening. Um but of also knowing where you stand, you know, of of knowing what's right and what's wrong and standing up for that in, in a way which is confident, but yet not necessarily um, combative.
3: Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I think there's sort of this perception maybe that like in order to devote yourself to something like that you have to like give up all your belongings and have no material attachments. I mean, do you think it's possible to live in that way, but also sort of be a member of society in in kind of a
0: larger sense yeah a lot of people are doing it already we have tons of examples of people who are doing that already um you know having stuff isn't a big problem um needing a lot of stuff might be a problem um constantly needing stuff is definitely going to be a problem that's the problem of our materialistic culture and our consumeristic culture um which i I, you know is not entirely our fault but is uh, a lot of that most of it is in the hands of the people who have created the consumeristic culture for the sake of you know power control, money, et cetera, et cetera. so having things is not a problem um, it's the needing and wanting too many things um and things that we don't really need, which is the problem. The world is fine, engage in the world, um, enjoy the material things that you have um Try not to waste things too much. Um, be conscious and considerate of the things that you do use. Um, yeah, I don't see any any problem with that. It's really interesting. You know, most people who are doing uh, good work in the world are readily making use of computers and cell phones and airplanes to get places. So, to preach that you should give up your belongings, you know, it's really not going to jive with the reality of how we connect with people these days. Um, But we should also recognize that by using a cell phone and a computer, we are destroying the people in the forests of the Congo in order to get all the materials necessary for the chips and the cell phones. And so, you know, no one is innocent. Yeah. You know, we're all taking part in this destruction of the planet um so we shouldn't be any you know high and mighty over anybody else if we're making use of any of these technologies um you know living off the land off the grid completely god bless you you know we salute you do your thing right be happy
3: yeah, it is a diff mm. is a difficult balance though, because I feel like your intention can be good, like I'm gonna buy a hybrid, and then you mm. find out where the battery comes from the hybrid, and then you know, it's it's an interesting I don't
0: know, dilemma, I guess, or something to think about. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you and I won't solve it right now no, here on this radio no. show. Um <laughs> it is it is. You know, we we're living in the world and you you have a choice. I can live in this world and try to transform it. Um or at least actualize myself to the highest good that I think I can be with the recognition that I'm also taking part in the destruction of resources. Um, or we can renounce everything and say, I am going to go off to the forest and live off of only the fruit that falls off of trees and not wear any clothes and not engage with the rest of the world. And um, maybe I'll spend all my day long praying for humanity. That's a service too. A beautiful service. The Dalai Lama said that there are monks living in the caves in the Himalayas who will never ever ever see, will never even know about them and all they do is they spend all their time praying for the welfare of all beings and the service that they're providing, you know, to humanity, we don't, and it's invisible to us, but maybe very possibly and very probably it's having a profound effect on the nature of consciousness on the perhaps I'm just saying um, that this tremendous weight of intention that's carrying forward from saints like this is helping to open more people's minds to yoga and meditation and doing service in the world. Um, there's a tremendous amount of service being done from doctors without borders to people who rush wherever there's a hurricane to people who do service just to people they see on the street, whether it's a homeless shelter or soup kitchen or people are serving. And... um But in any case, so we don't know if this energy which is being created from these saints is helping to expand consciousness so that people are becoming more open to integrating all of these types of consciousness-raising and awareness-raising practices into daily life, into the public sector, into the schools, into the government, into the prisons, into trauma centers, into hospitals. Um, Maybe that plays a part of it. Why all of a sudden are there so many people doing yoga in the world, maybe more than ever before. Now they say 20 million people in America. Four or five years ago, it was 16 million people. In the 1970s, it was much less. So how is it that people are becoming so open to this? What is the transformation which is occurring within people and within this maybe a collective unconscious, which is making people opening open to trying these things? Yeah, I have no idea. Um, and, but And I'm hoping it's a good thing. Definitely.
3: What I think is cool is all the kind of scientific data that comes out that shows how these things affect your brain and your neural pathways, and how there's actual kind of biological changes that happen through it.
0: Yeah, the uh, I think the uh, the topic of where consciousness meets biology uh, is is fascinating. Um, how we can think a thought or have a particular intention, and that will result in an electrical synapse within a physical structure like the brain that will cause the actual physical structure of the brain to change over time is super interesting. Um, and again, this is something that no one has an answer to it yet. Um, but it's, it's really fascinating in um, how people can reverse heart disease and heal back pain and do all these types of things through taking something ineffable like an intention and then changing their physical reality Changing their pain threshold, changing their emotional thresholds, it's, it's super fascinating.
3: Yeah, I agree. It's totally fascinating. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff about the mind and how the brain creates the mind and how we're conscious, I don't know. It's
0: And if it does, does the brain create the mind? Does the mind create the right, brain? No exactly. one knows yet. Um, my guess is the brain does not create the mind. Um, there are two camps right now. One says it does, one says it doesn't. Another says, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to stick with the I don't know campus. So. <laughs> <laughs> How did your parents end up in New York? They were born here. Oh, wow. Yeah. My parents were born in New York. Um, on my father's side, my grandparents were born in New York and my great grandparents were born in New York. And on my mother's side, um, she was the first generation here. Her father was born in Pittsburgh. Um, but he moved to New York, um, in the, probably in the 19, 19- 30s i guess um he wanted to be a he'd gone to harvard and he wanted to be he had a phd i believe in philosophy and he wanted to be a professor there but in the 30s uh, and in the 20s and in the 40s probably even in the 40s too um jews were not allowed to be professors in the universities here or at least at harvard so um instead he became a independent business person invested in the stock market and did things like that. Um so um yeah my daughter is like fifth generation born in Manhattan on wow. Mott Street. She was born on Mott Street.
3: That is incredible.
0: I yeah. I don't think I know anyone like that. I like to say we're very provincial island people. <laughs> we rarely leave the island. <laughs> you must never get lost. Uh, I'm not super good in the financial district, okay. Uh, I'm okay in the financial district, but it's with the one area and also way up in Harlem, I don't know all the streets up there. Pretty good in midtown. <laughs> it's a grid system,
3: yes, that is true do you do you travel to the other boroughs a lot or are you most i know you're obviously your studios in Manhattan
0: and you live there? Yeah, my studios in Soho. um I travel to Queens quite often to go to South Jamaica uh, to the Baisley projects and to that area to do our teaching work out there. Um, and, um, that's about it aside from going to JFK. And I don't come to Brooklyn all that often. It's always a treat when I get to come here. Um, when I cross the bridge, I feel like I'm going on a holiday or something. And I do some work at Long Island University also. So,
3: um, that's about it. Definitely. It seems like you have so much going on. I mean, do you take time sort of for yourself to sort of, like relax or rest or do you feel like you have this kind of drive to always kind of be trying to help people or, or help them
0: work towards things I, I kind of feel like all the things I do sort of are for myself um, uh, whether it's working out in Queens or working on the public school project or teaching or doing my practice it it's all fits into the same thing you know um, I I don't feel like I'm not, you know, like I'm on full drive all the time to try to do stuff for other people or whatever. This is all part of um, me, sort of. Um, The main thing I like to do is I like to be home early enough to have good family time with my wife and my daughter. Um, I travel a little bit now. The past couple of years I've been traveling more to teach. And I don't like to be away... For too long from them or from the studio so um, I like to keep a structured schedule when I can and sometimes too many things begin to creep in and the days get a little long but um, I think that uh, for the most part the most important thing to me is to make sure that uh, you know that part of my life the family part of my life is um, takes a priority um, and uh, sometimes Work pulls me away a little bit. And I try to recognize when it does and correct that. But time for myself, like time, like relaxing and stuff like that, or taking vacations, and um, not really. um, Because I do my practice every day and I do some meditation and I do the prayers in the temple and um, sometimes I go for a run or go to the gym. And um, all that stuff combined and interacting with people, I feel like this is, it's just all part of it. You know, I don't, I don't separate it off too much. Um, This is work and this is me. Right. My work is me also. So
3: kind of living in New York, obviously there are so many people and you know, you're on the subway, it's crowded. I feel like it's easy to feel like this person's in my way. I'm separate from this person. I mean, do you think it's harder to sort of get that interconnectivity when, you know you're around people so much or do you think it's kind of i don't know the same everywhere you mean people i guess just people all around i mean do you feel like somewhere where it's so concentrated in new york it's it's harder to sort of i don't know i just feel like sometimes i have to get out of town every couple months because it just sort of
0: can weigh on you i guess yeah new york's really hectic um it's full-on things um get magnified in new york um energy just accelerates here all the time um and um it's nice to get out of the city sometimes because things are slower In other places they have this little thing called quality of life (laughs) which i don't believe we really have in new york all that much at all um maybe in brooklyn you have it but in manhattan there's not much quality of life i mean every time even when i've been away for a little while and things slow down um, when I get back to New York, for some reason, even if I think, okay, I'm just going to do this little thing right now, not worry about things, just start coming my way, and people ask me to do things, so they want me to be involved in a project, and I'm terrible at saying no to things, and um, so things they magnify. Uh, I see it, uh, you know. This, I think that's the nature of Manhattan. Um, I would like to, at a certain point in my life, maybe my, after my daughter goes to college, to live somewhere a little quieter and be in nature a little bit more. Um, that would be nice. Maybe in the Mediterranean. Yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> Especially now. <laughs> yeah, it's getting cold. It's going to be 21 on Sunday. No way, really. Yep. Wow. But I like New York, and I like the possibilities that are here. I think it's still an exciting place, um, but I, I don't think there's a lot of quality of life here. I think it's a, there's a lot of doing and a lot of potential for doing cool things um and doing things that um um can have an effect in other places as well and so that is uh, a very good thing about this city that we can do some if we can accomplish something here which works here say something with yoga or something in the public school system you know you know you can make that work in other places as well and um a lot of people, in fact, I was in a meeting, a dinner on Sunday night with Sharon Salzberg, the meditation teacher, and um, Eric Schneiderman, who's the Attorney General, and it was basically Attorney General of New York, and it was called the Transformational Activism Dinner. And it was all these different people from different sectors of society in New York, from people who have been in the Senate to people like me who just teach yoga, coming together and saying, how can we bring all these tools that we have and bring a higher level of awareness and consciousness and um, a more refined sense of behavior and interaction into the different parts of our society which need it. Um, and um, the basic feeling from uh, especially the political people was that in New York there's a tremendous opportunity now to actually accomplish some of those things and that if we can do it here, then it can serve as a model for other places because New York is quite often a jumping point. Um, and so I think that's a good way to look at the city, not that we're special, but that we can be a potential jumping board for positive things to happen in other places. Positive things happen in other places, we should suck them up here too and, and absorb them into how we how we operate as well. And, and we, we will and we have and we always will do things like that. Um, but there is something about that Electricity of of New York, which people look to sometimes. Anyway, so this was their feeling. I don't really think like that too much because I'm from here, so I think, whatever, it's New York, you know? Um, but from what they were saying, this is how a lot of people around the world look to New York City. Um, I remember traveling in India, um, when the uh, first Gulf War was starting and there was a lot of animosity towards America. And I stopped telling people I was from America and I would start telling them I was from New York. And whenever I said that, they would go, oh, yes, we want to go there, you know. If I said, they didn't even think it was part of America. It was just like, oh, New York City, you know, can you write me a letter to get a visa? (laughs) If I said America, it was like, oh, you got George Bush and what you're doing in the world and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, a crowd starts developing around you and everyone wants to beat you up. But New York, it's like, oh, can I buy you a cup of tea? Come (laughs) Meet my family. (laughs) So it's a different kind of a place. There's a lot of stuff going on like that. A lot of people thinking, a lot of people acting, a lot of people saying, how can we bring these tools into policy, into public policy? What would that look like? What would it look like to bring practices of mindfulness and paying attention and being healthier into public policy? I mean... Would it just look like a ban on trans fat? That's a good thing too, but that's uh, a very outer way of approaching it. Um, what's What about some inner ways of approaching these types of things, where by simply putting a ban on something which is bad for you isn't the only solution that you have because there's an alternative way of approaching it? Education, for example. So a lot of people are thinking about this question i 'm um, sure some people are going to come up with some great answers and ideas that are implementable
3: definitely that 's amazing i mean that's that 's great um, Is there anything else you wanted to make sure
0: people knew or anything no i i i i don 't want anyone to know anything <laughs> i 'd like to know stuff if anyone <laughs> thinks I should know something please tell me <laughs> i don 't know what anyone should know <laughs> but Tell me what I need to know, and I'm I'm happy to listen. <laughs> Beautiful, that's great, that's perfect. Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for
3: having me. Of course. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, Eddie Stern. Wow,
1: wow, it's, wow. It's not like we <laughs> aim to educate with the podcast, because let's be honest, we don't. This is this is pretty much just a. Uh, um, Intellectual circle jerk for all of us to talk to people we think are cool. Yes. And they tend to want to come talk to us or specifically Jonah. You just, had you met him before? Did you just email him?
3: Never met him, just emailed him. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of his students and people who have studied with him. So I just hit him up and he was in India. And then when he got back, he uh, said he was down to do it, came by. And uh, yeah, it was super easy to set up. It was really cool. He was super, super awesome about it. That's a way I booked sort of a lot of guests. I I name dropped a bunch of people I knew and they kind of worked out. I love that. I love the fact that
1: you know, we've had, you know, Ray Capo in, who's known for punk and yoga, and the two rarely coincide. And then you have Eddie Stern in who's, you know, kind of the I know he probably hates this, but you know, like the yoga teacher to the stars, you know? For sure. He's someone that people of a certain mindset feel they can trust, but then he's so down to earth.
3: Yeah, it's cool. And it was cool we talked about New York and all that. I think I found all that old New York stuff fascinating. Not yeah. old, but kind of, you know. Well, the old to
1: us. You've been old here. Old us. It, 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 there's, there's pre and post Giuliani. Let's be
3: yes, honest. totally. So I always think it's interesting. I don't meet a lot of like fifth generation New Yorkers. And
1: mm-hmm. if this podcast can turn you on to yoga in any way, we are thrilled. Yes. More so than punk rock. Yes. Right on. That was very cool. Thank you for bringing him in.
3: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming, Eddie.
1: Uh, if you like the podcast, give us a review. Someone hit me up online just recently and said, I have a new podcast. Can you give us a review on iTunes, even if you've never heard it before? And I thought that was a shitty email. We
3: wouldn't do that. No, so, but you can do it. We won't email you specifically about it. No, but if you want to do it, go for it. That's, that's up to you. Uh, <laughs> I see. might email you. <laughs> um, We're on Twitter, backslash going off track. We're on Facebook, going off track. Some people have
1: been emailing me on the Facebook page about shirts. And I've been trying to come up with a way of you know, I think we're just going to make it a donation thing. Or if you want to donate a certain amount uh, for the shirt, email me. We'll figure it out. But donate it on the pot on the website page that'll go directly to us. Then that'll cover the shirt and shipping and all that. Kind yeah. Of so we'll fun more nonsense. info
3: on that as soon as we figure it out. Which is who knows when.
1: We could probably figure it out right now, but who has the
3: time? We don't have time right now. We have some guests outside. <laughs> uh, so thank you for listening and Namaste.